humans, hello, humans, hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug. How are you today? I am thrilled, just absolutely thrilled to be talking to you <laughs> from the lovely AM950 bunker in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. It is Saturday, the 18th of June. This is a live show. There will be no pre-recorded material on this show. It is all live. You have me. You have me, all four of you who are listening on this gorgeous day, soon to be a swelter, um, but you have me, and I would love to hear from you because I love listening or talking to my listeners, my audience. The number is 952-946-6205, and also, happy Pride Month. Yeah, happy Pride Month. Next weekend is Pride in the Twin Cities in Loring Park. Next weekend, I will be staffing the AM 950 booth in the afternoon on Saturday the 25th, so please come by and see me. I'll have Jack the Dog with me. I will. <laughs> ah, oh, it's pride. Okay, well, great show today. I'm talking about things affecting LGBTQ plus people. That's pretty much a pride-focused kind of uh, show, but I'm willing to take anything else that anybody else wants to talk about. Um, and uh, I've got an incredible idealist to feature for sure. But first, I want to go back to uh, 26 years, to 1996, <laughs> the Clinton administration. Let's paint the picture of what things were like for LGBTQ people back then. In uh, 1996, you know, the, the, the gay pride movement, the gay rights that had certainly gotten the federal government to start funding AIDS research. Um, there were some drugs that were being developed that were coming online. Um, we had uh, people in 96 starting to clamor, certainly for marriage equality. And uh, leaders, the uh, congressional leaders, political leaders um, in the country saw handwriting on the wall. They did. Uh, these would be people who were not progressive, but who were conservative. Although Bill Clinton, uh, well, let me just tell the rest of the story. You know, um, some states were starting to enact uh, domestic partner laws uh, to accommodate uh, LGBTQ people. Congress saw that, and it wanted to head things off at the pass. And so in 1996, Congress passed and... Bill Clinton signed DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, which said, no, the U.S. government would do nothing to recognize any kind of legal union between same-sex couples. So under DOMA, all right, Defense of Marriage Act, didn't matter if you had, uh, you know, the, the right to, to have a domestic partnership agreement when it came to things like paying your taxes or when it came to things like uh, death federal government was going to recognize your rights as a spouse, okay? Put a pin in that, all of that, what I just said, and let me introduce you to a dynamic idealist woman named Edie Windsor. She was born in 1929 in Philadelphia to Russian Jewish immigrants. It was the Depression, 
And uh, in the process of the depression, uh, the family lost uh, their candy ice cream business and their home that was above the store. But somehow Edie Windsor, uh, she persevered. And at age 21, she graduated from Temple University in Philadelphia. And by the time she was 28, she had a master's degree in mathematics from NYU. We are talking about a woman who was incredibly smart and bright. After getting her master's degree, she joined IBM, where she worked for 16 years. Now, I want you to think about this. A Jewish woman working for an international company before 1960. She was able to obtain the highest level technical position with IBM, and that led her to getting one of, <laughs> as a perk, one of IBM's first PCs. She got that in the early 60s. But notwithstanding Edie uh, Windsor's success uh, with IBM, the company rejected her life insurance form that named a female partner as a beneficiary. So... Edie Windsor, in addition to being bright, and in addition to being Jewish, she was a lesbian. In 1975, Edie left IBM to found her own company specializing in software development. And during this time, she began to help LGBTQ plus organizations become familiar with various computer systems. Okay, so 1975, this is like totally on the front end of the information revolution. Understanding that in the 1950s and 60s, being gay was incredibly stigmatizing, Eddie, Edie, excuse me, Edie originally married a man, Saul Windsor, in 1951. But that didn't last because Edie admitted to uh, Saul that she was attracted to women. By 1965, Edie was in a relationship with a woman. In 1967, that woman, Thea Spire, asked Edie to marry and, of course, that was illegal in 1967. Still, uh, uh, Thea and Edie moved in together. And in 1993, the couple was able to register as domestic, domestic partners in New York City. Hence the introduction I gave you about DOMA and what uh, conservative political leaders saw was coming. Nine years later, Thea suffered a heart attack and then was diagnosed with aortic stenosis. Thea's condition deteriorated, and the couple began to think of ways to legally marry. And at this point, Edie has get, had given up her career to become a full-time caretaker for Thea. On May 22, 2007, Thea and Edie were actually married in Toronto, Canada, by Canada's first openly gay judge. Um, the wedding ceremony was filmed by a professional filmmaker and LGBTQ activist, who later put out, put out a documentary titled Edie and Thea, a very long engagement. The wedding announcement, their wedding announcement for Thea and Edie, or it was published in New York Times. So this was, you know, this was a big deal, okay? Very big deal. Not even two years after that, in February 29, February 2009, Thea died, okay? But Edie Windsor wasn't done with romance in September of 2016 at the ripe age, at the ripe age of um, 87. Edie married Judith Kasser in New York, in, at New York City Hall um, and uh, City Hall in New York City. A year later, um, Edie died. So Edie died in uh, 2010. But before she passed, Edie had started her memoir, 
a, titled A Wild and Precious Life, and a co, the co-author of that book finished it and published it in 2019. Now, I'm telling you all this about Edie Windsor because apart from being a romantic, she was a groundbreaker. You got a sense of that already from what I've already said. But she was a groundbreaker. You see that after Thea died, Edie wanted to, uh, was named the beneficiary of Thea's will. But because marriage wasn't legal because of DOMA, okay, because the federal government wouldn't recognize their marriage, Edie had to pay 363000 in federal estate taxes on Thea's estate. Um, had the federal government recognized their marriage, Edie would have not had to pay um, any kind of income tax. She could have claimed the spousal deduction um, on the inheritance. At the time of Thea's death in 2009, the U.S. government had in place DOMA, as I have already said. And DOMA defines spouse as a marriage between a man and a woman, just for the record, so we understand that. For Edie Windsor, that was unacceptable. And in 2010, she hired lawyers who filed a lawsuit claiming that DOMA discriminated against LGBTQ plus people. Two years later, her attorneys convinced a federal trial court that Section 3 of DOMA, which defined marriage as between a man and a woman, okay, that that was unconstitutional, that it violated the Equal Protection Clause of the Fifth Amendment. Shortly thereafter, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the trial court's ruling. And then a year later, <laughs> with, trust me, a completely different court than what we know in 2022. But a year later... Um, in uh, 2012, okay, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that Section 12 of DOMA was unconstitutional because it was, quote, a deprivation of the liberty of a person afforded, uh, liberty and protections of a person afforded by the Fifth Amendment, unquote. By the time of the Supreme Court ruling, Edie Windsor was 83 years old. Now think about that. She was financially set. Her health wasn't the greatest. And for most people in their 80s, it's the time to slow down and not time to push to, for a groundbreaking um, lawsuit. Edie's victory in breaking DOMA, okay, in breaking it, um, meant that same-sex partners could inherit each other's estates. It also meant um, that they could be, you know, claimed as a deduction for the uh, get the marriage deduction on your tax returns, okay? And it also meant other rights like spousal health insurance uh, coverage. Uh, Edie Windsor's case was incredibly important, and it was a pivotal stepping stone toward the Obigerfell v. Hodges marriage equality decision that would be issued by the Supreme Court two years later um, in June of 2015. Um, by the way, uh, next week I'm going to talk about Jim Obigerfell, okay, as my featured idealist. Edie's case also made her quite famous. In 2013, she was the Grand Marshal of the New York City LGBTQ Pride March. You know, I think that that would be like one of the coolest things in the world to be the Grand Marshal of a Pride. In that same year, in 2013, Edie Windsor was the runner-up to Pope Francis. Now get this, to Pope Francis's, to Pope, she was a runner-up to Pope Francis for Times Person of the Year. You believe that? A lesbian. <laughs> this feisty 80-something lesbian, only bested by Pope Francis as the person of the year for Time magazine. Um, and she was a geriatric lesbian who pushed the envelope to change America. 
think of that. Edie Windsor, idealist, extraordinaire. Unbelievable, right? Okay, listen, we're going to take a break. I'm going to come back. We're going to talk about other things. I would love to hear from you today. I would. We'll talk about anything you want to talk about. Hey, it's Pride. Talk about something Pride-related. Give me a call, 952-946-6205. Talk to you in a sec. Ellie 2.0 Radio, you're listening to me, lovely Ellie Krug, <laughs> one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world. Boy, you know, it's been a long time since I've said that. Mm -hmm. um, okay, you have your kind of special Pride edition, Ellie 2.0, today because it's Pride, it's Pride Month, and, uh, and for those of you who wonder, why is June always Pride Month? Here's the answer. Because the Stonewall riot, which set off the current, the most modern gay rights movement, Stonewall riot occurred in New York City on June 28th, 1969. And that's why it happened in June. And everybody just said, hey, we're going to do Pride in June. Not everybody does Pride in June, but most, but many, many, many places do. And that's why it's recognized as Pride Month. Okay, there's that little tidbit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Okay, so I want to talk about um, a story that came over the wire on June 16th from the Washington Post. Um, it's a piece uh, by Marissi, excuse me, Marissa Latti, um, and it's titled, School Flying BLM LGBTQ Flags Can't Call Itself Catholic, Bishop Says. And this is a story about... Um, the Nativity School of Worcester, Massachusetts. It's a school run by the Jesuits. You know why they get into trouble. And they've been, they, ha, they, they are, and if you want to just ever Google this, this school, but they are flying, they are flying flags. They are flying, they've got the United States flag, but they're also flying the, um, uh, the pride flag, you know, multicolored pride flag, as well as the BLM flag. And uh, the bishop of that district that includes Worcester, um, ha named uh, Robert McManus, Bishop McManus, um, has uh, gotten his nose out of joint over this um, because he, uh, he takes the view that, uh, quote, and quoting out of the piece uh, from the, uh, the Post, quote, the flying of the flags in front of a Catholic school sends a mixed, confusing, and scandalous, scandalous message to the public about the church's stance on these important moral and social issues. Um, and uh, that is uh, quoting uh, Bishop McManus in a letter that he wrote um, pulling uh, uh, Nativity School's Catholic designation. Uh, Bishop McManus further wrote, quote, despite my insistence that the school administration remove these flags because of the confusion and the properly theological scandal that they do and can promote, they refuse to do so, unquote. Uh, newsflash, Bishop, you're dealing with Jesuits. 
<laughs> just, you know, but what the bishop has done is said, okay, you can't call this a Catholic school anymore. You can't do mass there. You can't do the sacraments there. And you're not going to be on our list anymore of Catholic schools in the district. Okay. Now, the Nativity School, let me just tell you a little bit about the Nativity School, okay? It is a school that primarily, primarily serves, um, it's, it's total scholarship, okay? So there's no cost to go, and it serves low-income uh, children of color and from indigenous communities. That, that's what this school is, and of course, that's what you would expect from the Jesuits, by the way. There are, there are things that we can say about the Jesuits, all right, but... I am a, I am a student of a Jesuit law school, Boston College Law School. I'm graduate of that, and I have great respect for the Jesuits. So, as it turns out, the Nativity School of Worcester was on its last legs um, come uh, 2020. The school almost closed, almost closed. And they put out this big attempt to raise money, which was very, very successful. And the school is now, you know fully functioning. It's now serving population, okay? Um, uh, and uh, it's a boys-only school. I, I guess I should make sure I note that. And, and I'm going to read partly from a letter from Thomas McKinney, who is the president, okay, of Nativity School of Worcester. Um, and uh, he, he, he's written a letter. It's dated uh, June 15th of 2022, he goes on to say this, Nativity was founded in 2003 as an independent Catholic Jesuit middle school that provides a quality tuition-free education to boys from under-resourced communities. Nativity is the only tuition-free Catholic school in the Diocese of Worcester and the only school in central Massachusetts that solely educates students experiencing economic insecurity. The school is entirely funded through the generosity of individuals, foundations, and corporations. We receive no funding from the, from the diocese, and our governance and control of school operations are fully independent of the diocese. Um, uh, the president uh, of the school board, who I'm reading from his letter, Thomas McKinney, goes on to write, the issue in January 2021, so we're talking more than a year, Nativity started flying the Pride and Black Flies Black Lives Matter flags following our students, uh, the majority of whom are of color, called to express support for making our communities more just and inclusive. As a multicultural school, the flags represent the inclusion and respect of all people. The flag, flags simply state that all are welcome at Nativity, and this value of inclusion is rooted in Catholic teaching. <laughs> you may recall Pope Francis a Jesuit. Um, and the letter goes on to say that um, Nativity uh, will go ahead, will seek to appeal the decision of the bishop to remove the flags, okay? Um, but then <laughs> President Thomas McKinney of, of, of um, Nativity School says, quote, at the same time, after meaning, meaningful deliberation and discernment by its board, leadership team, faculty, and partners, Nativity will continue to display the flags in question to give visible witness to the school's solidarity with our students, families, and their commitment. Commitment to our mission grounded and animated by gospel values, Catholic social teaching, and our Jesuit heritage compels us to do so, unquote. Think about this, all right? It's Pride Month. Okay, it's Pride Month in Massachusetts, all right? You got the bishop who says, 
you can't do this. I'm going to, and we're going to take away, we're going to take away your ability to call yourself a Catholic school. Don't we have bigger, I mean, don't they have bigger fish to fry out in Worcester? I mean, don't they have greater energies to spend about a mission for the Catholic Church in Worcester? I just, I, it, it is, it is mind boggling, um, for me to think that this, that this has gotten this big, but good for Nativity School of Worcester, good for Nativity School of Worcester, go Google it, good for Nativity School of Worcester, go Google it and look how, and see how you can send them some money, good for Nativity School of Worcester to say, uh-uh, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to, we're going to dig our heels in. We're going to support our kids and our community. And these flags mean more than just simply cloth. They represent identities. They represent communities that have been invisible, that have been marginalized, communities that historically the Catholic Church has marginalized. Sorry. I mean, just Catholic Church. I mean, you, you think that the Catholic Church hasn't marginalized, um, uh, black, you know, communities of color. Just go Google 1838 Georgetown University enslaved humans. You'll see what kind of marginalization occurred there. That was also the Jesuits there. That was a mistake by the Jesuits. Um, so, all right, well, listen, uh, I just needed to get this off my chest about the Nativity School of Worcester, and it's an incredible story, and go read up on it. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about drag shows, if you can believe that, okay? You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. Visit my website at elliekrug.com. I'd love to hear from you today, 952-946-6205. Um, hey, you ever gone to a drag show? What do you think of drag shows? Give me a call. Love to hear from you. Kelly 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Uh, listen, I'd love to hear from somebody at 952-946-6205 because I just would, you know? I don't get a chance to talk to audience members very often. Okay, I want to talk about drag, drag shows. For those of you who are local, you know about uh, the, the, the bar, the LGBTQ plus bar downtown Minneapolis on Hennepin Avenue called the Gay 90s. And the reason the Gay 90s is known so well, in part, is because they have a fabulous, fabulous drag show um, every weekend. It, and you know, there are, there are far more straight, cisgender people that go to those drag shows than LGBTQ plus people. And, you know, and drag um, uh, is, a, is a form of performance, okay? It is a, it is a, it is performing. It is a an art form, uh, for sure. I am not, so if you ask me, am I particularly a fan of, of it? Uh, the reason, no. The answer would be no, because I'm transgender and I fear about how drag can confuse people about transgender people versus people who perform drag are performative, they're artists and all of that. Normal, you know, just non, you know, straight cisgender people may not understand the difference. And for that reason, I'm not, you know... 
don't don't ask me to go speak at an event where drag is going to be performed. But I, you know, I give everybody the right to go and and do what they want and 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 live their way. But I, I'm that that's just Ellie Krug personally. But I am appalled by what's going on in our country around drag. So two weeks ago, okay, um, and I'm now reading from an NPR uh, story or re- referencing it, uh, dated June 16 by. Uh, Mandalit Del Barco, um, titled Some Lawmakers Hope to Crack Crack Down on Drag Shows Watched by Children. Uh, Weekend, either last weekend or the weekend before, a group of men, okay, uh, wearing, uh, you know, from Proud Boys, the Proud Boys, went into the San Lorenzo California Library. Um, Kyle Chu, whose drag name is Panda Duels, was about to read to preschool and kindergarten children. So it was, you know drag show reading by you know um story time reading books by drag you know and this goes on across the country in various libraries uh wearing shirts emblazoned with an ak-47 the men shouted homophobic and transphobic threats the proud boys yelled who brought the tranny by the way tranny is a slur to transgender people i'm reading it from the piece and they started to hurl insults calling um calling me a pedophile and a groomer chu told teen vogue to be confronted with bigots that are deeply misinformed about who you are and what you stand for it's terrifying um a security guard thank god was there escorted the group out and the alameda county sheriff's office is open to hate crime okay but (laughs) um that's not where it ends all right because we've got Governor DeSantis in Florida, you know, the man who uh, wants to out-Trump Trump, uh, on the record now, saying that he believes that if a parent allows his child, his or her child, to be in the presence of a drag queen, that that is child endangerment, okay? There's a Florida state represented by the name of Anthony Sabatini who wants to go further. He wants to make it a felony, believe it or not, if children bring their, if parents bring their children to watch a drag show, okay? <laughs> um, uh, it's just, I mean, uh, it is it is unbelievable what's going on. I think there's something afoot down in Iowa about creating felony laws against uh, children seeing drag shows. Now, all of this would be kind of funny, all right, but for the fact... <laughs> But for the fact that it's causing people who are not just intolerant of transgender folks, but hateful of transgender folks. Now, remember, and LGBTQ plus people. Now, remember, I told you, I said, you know, straight cisgender people can't understand that drag is performance, that it's art versus it's transgender people. These are two totally separate communities, two totally separate camps, okay? Usually, drag show is put on by a man, okay, who dresses as female or a woman who dresses as male, but they're not transgender. They may be gay or they may be lesbian, but they're not transgender because once they're done with their show, they go back to... Um, the presentation that they normally have every day in terms of how they appear and how they dress and what names they use and all of that thing. But this is confusing and creating issues all across the board. So last weeckend, you may remember in uh, Coeur d'Alene, uh, Idaho, we had uh, um, a group of, um, of Patriot Front uh, men 
Uh, so that would be white-color men, all right, 31 of them, uh, who were intent on disrupting a pride celebration in Coeur d'Alene, uh, Idaho. And thank goodness, a citizen dropped a dime, called the police when the citizen saw a bunch of men all wearing the same kind of khaki uniforms with the, the blue gaiters and the, and the cap that we are familiar with with this group, okay? Um, dropped a dime when, she, when they saw all these guys getting in the back of a, a U-Haul vehicle, okay? <laughs> you know, U-Haul truck. I mean, think about uh, how they're <laughs> just, I, you know... And, and, and so the police interceded, but there were plans, as you may have heard over the news. I mean, they had plans about disrupting a pride celebration in Coeur d'Alene. And, and they were, they, I mean, they had smoked grenades. They had a strategy plan on how to disrupt. They had shields, all of this stuff. Who knows, okay? Who knows what could have happened? One of the Proud, Bo one of the proud Boys um, read a T-shirt, you know, kill your local pedophile. Okay. Oh, that was, I'm sorry. I'm reading from a different story. That was in Alameda. Okay. So <laughs> that was the, the, I can't, how do you keep track of the, of the groups that hate you? Okay. It's just, it's just getting very difficult for me to keep track of everyone who hates uh, LGBTQ people, but particularly uh, transgender people. So this is, this is, this is dangerous. This is dangerous as heck. And um, I'm just, I, and I, you know, I, I worry that it's going to get way worse because in a CNN piece uh, written by uh, Allison Hope, the piece uh, came out on uh, June 16th. I'm doing all my homework on June 16th, it looks like. It's titled, um, Opinion, Americans are facing a rainbow scare and it may get worse before it gets better. And Allison uh, Hope writes about how we are now just facing um, a slew of things, both legislatively but also on the streets, going against LGBTQ plus people. And in this piece that uh, Allison Hope writes, I mean, she writes that 73% of LGBTQ youth have experienced um, symptoms of anxiety, according to a Trevor Project study. The Trevor Project is a nonprofit aimed to prevent suicide um, among LGBTQ youth. Another 73% of LGBTQ youth have reported experiencing discrimination based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. Think about that. Three quarters of LGBTQ people, youth, okay? These are young people. They don't have the coping skills yet. They don't have the perspective yet. They don't, they don't have the resilience yet. Experience three quarters, experience anxiety and depression, experiencing uh, discrimination. What is happening? What is going on? This is not good. And, it, and I fear that it's only going to get worse as we go forward. I do. Okay, all right. Well, listen, we're going to take uh, one more break, and then when I come back, I've got some other stuff to talk about, and uh, you do have one more chance to give me a call. 952-946-6205. Uh, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug. Thanks. Now, 
More than ever, we are being faced daily with a topic of human mortality. And for many people, estate planning has been top of mind. Getting your estate planning done now can be easy and cost effective. Shroman Law offers virtual options for initial consultations so that new clients can safely initiate the process. A lot of seat dancing today. I don't know why. Maybe because it's Pride Month. I don't know. But I'm like, <laughs> if you're watching me on Facebook Live, you're seeing me dance all over the place. I almost got up and danced. All stood and danced. But I've been doing seat dancing with the bumper music. Sorry. And by the way, this the bumper music is stuff I get to pick. And so, <laughs> Okay. Um, a couple more things. And then we're going to have the show wrapped up. So... Uh, thing number one, I am yeah, I am a huge believer in you know hearing from different points of view. I am. I think that it's incredibly important that we not just kind of like operate in a vacuum, only hear the same you know echoes over and over and over again. I think that it's important that we be curious and read and and see other things. So. I, I get sometimes Fox News feeds, and I uh, check uh, conservative uh, publications. So the National Review, not a bastion of liberalism by any way, any means. I, I, you know, I watch when things come down from the National Review. I mean, it helps to inform me about where, where maybe. Um, uh, People contrary to the way I think, the way they are thinking. But, you know, sometimes they say some things that maybe, you know, in the National Review that maybe, hey, maybe I should consider that. So there is a, um, I saw a blurb come down um, in the National Review. Uh, it's a, a short piece by George Left dated June 15th, um, who uh, has written, okay, um, about uh, an, uh, who summarizes an article um, by Peter Wood. Uh, he is um, with the National Association of Scholars. Okay, uh, I, I haven't even Googled that to see how uh, conservative that might be. Um, but he's written a piece titled Regime, Regime Change, Repelling the DEI Assault on Higher Education, DEI's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And among the things that uh, Peter... Hold on, Ellie. Peter Wood happens to say is that diversity, equity, and inclusion um, incites racial resentment, okay? Uh, that it's aimed at recruiting students through emotional manipulation into durable allegiance to progressive political loyalties, that it uh, displaces from college curriculums and disparages the study of great achievements of Western civilizations and the American past. Now, just think about that. It disparages it and 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 discourages you from learning about the America the great achieve. What are those great achievements? How the West was won. What what was that? How the West was won. How we killed indigenous people, mercilessly. How how we wiped out entire, you know, groups of humans. 
how we, I mean, how we enslaved humans, you know, for 200 something, well, whatever it was, uh, 200 some odd years. Okay, you know, that uh, DEI, I'm going on with this uh, greatest hits, that DEI creates historical amnesia. It amplifies the injustices of in American history and minimizes American accomplishments. Okay, and of course, the, the rail against the 1619 Project. Um, it impedes our international competitiveness, and it's a destructive orientation. Quote, DEI is an essential piece of indoctrination in the social justice ideology that's now taking hold in the American economy um, as the ESG, environmental, social, and governments investing, is occurring. So the reason I tell you about this, all right, is because I do DEI. That is my work across the country. Right now, there are... I do, can't give you the exact number, but it's somewhere about around 10 states where I can't go and train state agencies like, you know, like the government or the colleges and universities because my work where I talk about how we group and label humans, which, by the way, we all group and label humans, we do, that it would make some people uncomfortable by hearing that. Or I use the phrase white color C-O-L-O-R, to refer to white people because many white people don't believe. I'm tapping on, my, tapping on my wrist right now. Most white people don't believe that their skin color is a color. They think it's normal or base. Not everyone. Okay, not everyone is that way, all right? But those things would make people uncomfortable. And so they're, yeah, I can't go to certain places. And you know what? On the horizon, what I see coming down after September, excuse me, November of 22, and certainly after November of 24, I see national laws prohibiting the teaching of DEI concepts, like national laws. Like we can't, nope, can't talk about that anymore. It's punishable by a felony. I see it coming. I do. It scares the heck out of me. It really does. Not only because it's my income, it's my living, but because, more importantly, I'm an idealist and I want to make this world better. And we're not going to get there unless we talk about things that make us uncomfortable. We're not. I just... <laughs> it, it, yeah. Okay, now, I need to move on and talk about a subject uh, that I raised last week in my show at the end in my C-Block where I talked about how um, I had done a training that, that week and where there were members, uh, service members from the Army, Minnesota Army National Guard and Air Guard uh, in the audience. And that after the training, a uh, colonel came up to me um, and, and, and asked me if I knew why Twin Cities Pride had excluded the Guard from being in the, in the Pride Parade that will take place and from having a presence um, at Pride. And, and, and you may recall, I relayed that, that he had told me, he said, I mean, he was emotional. I, I thought he was going to cry. He said, Ellie, I would give my life for you. And, I, and I, I, of course, I knew that. I know that. I am a big supporter of the Guard, okay? They protect us. They protect me. They do. They protect my right to be who I am. And so I said I'd go and, 
I, I had tried before last week's show to get a hold of TC Pride to, to get their side of the story. Nobody had called me back, but I did get a phone call after last week's show. I didn't talk to anybody, but they left me a long, you know, two-minute voicemail. And what uh, I heard from TC Pride was that uh, the guard um, hadn't told them that they couldn't go to Pride, but had just said that they hadn't filled out a form in time. That there was a form they needed to get in by a such, such and such date, and that they hadn't, they hadn't filled out the form. Okay, they hadn't f submitted the application in the right window. So I went back to my contact at the guard and said, hey, this is what I've heard. You know, they, they said you didn't, you didn't get the paperwork in. And my contact at the guard, just for the record, okay, um, uh, told me that that wasn't true. Okay? They had filled out the paperwork. There was something more going on here. And so, okay, that's, that's, the, that's where I'm going to leave it, although I have told the guard uh, that um, let's, next time around, I will, if they need help, I will, I will get involved to try and make sure that they can be in the parade, okay, and that they can be at Pride. You know, I am an inclusionist. I'm not a, I'm a unifier, not a divider, okay? I, I am. And, you know, maybe some of the stuff you think I've said today suggests that I'm a divider. I'm not. I mean, if you don't understand transgender people, if you don't understand me, please come talk to me. Let's let's sit down and find out what our commonalities are. Let's and and I'm not a big believer in just excluding people. Okay, you know I mean it. I, I understand you've got to make political statements. You have to do certain things. I I understand that, but okay. But then let's start to work. It does no good to exclude somebody if you have a problem with them. Let's talk about how we can come together. Let's talk about what the issue... Let's get it out there on the table and have a healthy conversation. I've got to believe that the majority of people in Minnesota, many of whom are LGBTQ+, support our military. And, by the way, support our police. I've got to believe that. Okay? And if, you know, your beef is with the police, well... I don't know what we accomplish by excluding the police from something. I would rather have us have a conversation about why can't, why can't the law enforcement maybe act or do th some things differently. And let's all kind of, let's, let's talk about how we can get that accomplished. Okay. All right. Well, I'm ranting a little bit. All right. So next week to recap, I will be um, at Pride. At an AM 9:50, we'll have a booth there for both days of Pride. I'll be there on Saturday afternoon. Jack, the Golden Retriever, will be there. It's going to be a lot of work because he's up to about 80 pounds, and that boy just loves humans. So I'm always like pulling him, holding him back. But we'll have a good time, hopefully, Jack, the boy. And uh, to you, my listeners, I need to thank my producer Dan, who's done a great job. Uh, and to you, my listeners, here's what I'd like. Go out, okay, between now and the next time you hear my voice. Go out and do something. Make the world better. Act of kindness. Say something good. Write somebody a note. Tell them you care about them, okay? I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Happy Pride.